You are back with the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. You know, it's just been a week since Governor David Ige announced a new state program to help renters who can't pay their landlords because they've lost their jobs. Thousands have applied for help under this new COVID fund. We talked to Denise Iseri Matsubara from the Hawaii Housing Finance and Development Corporation about the role of the CARES money. Two nonprofits, Catholic Charities and Aloha United Way, are helping to administer the funds. The response has been pretty good, actually. Um, we've received over 5,000 applications. The phones have been ringing off the hook. I think the latest report combined, they have over 1,000 calls, been well over 80,000 hits to the new rent relief website, which is hihousinghelp.com. And the really good news is that one of the nonprofits was actually able to start cutting checks the first week of the program. And that's what really matters. They're helping the CARES funds is being put to work and it's helping people avoid eviction. Talk about the access by neighbor island renters as well. The program is available statewide and payments are made up to $2,000 per month for households on Oahu and $1,500 per month on the neighbor island. Catholic Charities has an office in each county and they're also working through the union and realtors. The Aloha United Way is working mainly on Oahu, but they are starting to broker agreements with credit unions scattered throughout the state. They are also working with Salvation Army and I believe the Waianae Coast Comprehensive Health Center. So those checks that were being cut this past week, are those here on Oahu? I don't know exactly wh- what okay. island they're coming from, but they're Catholic Charities right now is the only one able to cut checks, so it could have been from anywhere. I'm not sure what island. I guess the fact that checks are being cut so quickly is a good thing because, you know, we've seen so many people in distress because their unemployment claims, you know, got backlogged. We're talking about a rent check. I mean, that's a that's a fat check to have to cut. That That is a fat check, and it's even fatter when you think that we're making payments in lump sum amounts for up to three months at a time. And that just with this first tranche of CARES funds, which is about $50 million. But, you know, there is going to be a phase two, which we hope to launch before the end of the month. And that will cover not only back rent uh, to the beginning of the CARES period, which is March, but also include mortgages, which would go back to the beginning of CARES period as well. So even uh, deeper help with tranche two and phase two of this housing relief program. What are you hearing out in the community about mortgage problems? Well, I think it's mixed. Homeowners as well as renters need help right now. And for homeowners, it would really be a shame to hear about homes being foreclosed because people are out of work for extended periods of time through no fault of their own, but due to this pandemic. You know, a home is a foundation. If you've invested your life savings in it, it, it's devastating. This is the foundation for families. We really want to work towards expanding the program as soon as possible, and we hope to do make a formal announcement in the coming week. What can you tell us about the breakdown on the neighbor islands? Because, you know, we've heard that Maui has taken a particularly big hit because their economy is so tied to tourism. Um, are, are you hearing more of the problems you know, with evictions over there? I know of 
uh, Maui having high unemployment, looking at the stats that you hero puts out. But this program is a first-come, first-served basis, and there is no allocation by neighbor island. It's first-come, first-served. So what's the thinking behind that? I mean, shouldn't it be distributed kind of evenly across the board? That's hard to say. I guess we have to gauge how demand is coming in. If we see a particular overwhelming need from a particular island, then we might have to make some course corrections. But for right now, the key is getting the money out to help families. So I think with this early response, we don't really know at this point. Because the counties are also offering programs as well. Okay, because, yeah, that was my next question is how is this particular state program different from what the counties might be offering? It is similar to some of the other county programs that are being offered. Honolulu City and County has their own hardship relief program offering similar amount. The one big difference was that state program didn't have an asset limit. The city just lifted their asset limit. The other neighbor islands, we kind of gauged the monthly rent to be similar so that the state could be a resource to be considered. But there may be a lot of similarities between the programs. It just augments what is available in some counties. What about the transparency with the data? How are we able to figure out, you know, what's being spent and where it's all going? So the one good feature is we have installed what they call a smart sheet software. This is the same software that the city and county of Honolulu is using. That was designed on purpose so that the data can somehow be coordinated so we can avoid duplicate payments. And I believe all of the counties will be using something similar except for Hawaii County because they already were on a different software system stemming back to 2018 during the Kilauea eruption. Okay, but basically you've got some safeguards in place to make sure people aren't double dipping. Correct. We have to. We're obligated to under the federal rules and regulations. We saw what happened, though, with uh, unemployment, where there was just, you know, this outside force, you know, from people offshore mm-hmm. that were uh, managing to, to get in to, um, to apply for these benefits. And then, you know, we actually paid out. Uh, so are there additional safeguards that we've got? So that was one of the, the issues and the concerns that was expressed to our software company, and my understanding is, yes, we have designed some safeguards, and ultimately it requires human intervention to press the button and make a payment. So the checks have to be made before then. One of the things that we did do, and we are very thankful, actually, to the city director of community services, who who happens to be a college colleague of mine, um, reached out early and said, hey, you know, we want to coordinate with you first of all because we don't want to we don't have want to have duplication so we're hoping that you can use the same software and secondly so that we can share some of the the issues that we encountered so hopefully you can avoid them so when we designed the program uh, we designed it to avoid uh, some of those issues that they were nice enough to share with us and and that's why we have like this early uh, i guess surgence of applications that that's good. So that at least the word's getting out. And then your your former classmate is Pam Whitty Oakley. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Good for Pam. We're hoping you know it takes only a couple weeks to process and a week to cut a check. And the good news is that you can stay housed. And then the second bit of good news is we hope to expand the program through the governor's executive order to include back rent and 
mortgage payments, and I believe mediation services as well. What's the total in the fund for renters? So the total appropriation was $100 million, and that's going to be less the administration fees uh, that go to the nonprofit. So it boils down to roughly about $88 million in programming dollars. How much is broken out for mortgage? Have you done that yet? or No, not, not really. Yet. It's okay. going to be by demand. And okay. you know, one of the key reasons why we really don't set these bars right now is because there is a race to get it out by December, and we want to see how demand is flowing first. All right. Anything else? Just uh, I guess we need to drive people to the website or to call one of these agencies. Drive them to the website. That's how you'll get the quicker help. The phone banks are getting overwhelmed, but please encourage folks, if you don't have a computer, you don't have access to Internet, you can still call 521-HELP or 211. For Catholic Charities, they do have um, language assistance as well. Okay. And they reported that about 200 callers did need that kind of assistance. So they, they have that kind of help available. That was Denise Aseri Matsubara, Director of the Hawaii Housing Finance and Development Corporation, talking about the $100 million available for housing assistance. More details about help for homeowners to pay for mortgages is expected from the governor's office soon. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from UH Manoa's Osher Lifelong Learning Institute for ages 50 and older with virtual courses such as art, film, history, and gardening. Classes begin September 21st. More by searching Osher Hawaii. I'm Stephen Dubner. On the next Freakonomics Radio, with COVID still a threat, how was the NFL able to start its new season on time? I hate to hark back to being at the Pentagon on 9-11, but disaster preparedness is just that. And what, if anything, could bring the season to a halt? It's a coin flip of devastation. That's next time on Freakonomics Radio. Starting this evening at 7, following Counterspin. This is The Conversation on statewide, member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Time now for your Backyard Quiz. In today's Backyard Quiz, we're thinking about a dramatic example of evolutionary adaptation in our islands. This one is a flightless moth that lives only in a high mountain area on one island. It lives on barren, rocky slopes where high winds and cold temperatures make flying difficult. Although its evolutionary ancestors could fly, this unusual moth has shortened wings that are useless for flying. It gets around by hopping, much like a grasshopper. It's able to leap up to 10 times its body length. During its caterpillar stage, it spins webs in rock crevices, feeding on the dead leaves caught in the web as they blow past. Its scientific name is Thyrocopa 
Apatella. It has more than one English name, but today we're looking for the name of the mountain that is its exclusive habitat. Call 941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you know the answer. The first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right. Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Locations, whose Realtors and staff support HPR's commitment to sharing stories of Hawaii. Updated property listings, including virtual tours and a mobile app at locationshawaii.com. ongoing outbreak of COVID-19 is causing major stress for local small businesses. To hear more, we're joined by HBR's Ryan Finnerty. Good morning. Hey, Catherine. So how are some of these businesses affected with this second lockdown? Yeah, the operative word in that is second. This second go around with the lockdown is really causing problems for local small businesses, particularly on Oahu, where uh, cases have been really high for over a month now. Um, And and the way we know that is because uh, the University of Hawaii Economic Research Organization has been tracking business income by surveying small businesses over the past few months since this began. And what the data shows is that there was a modest recovery after a a big drop off in March and April in monthly business income, the money businesses were making. And then that started to slowly increase in May, starting in May, when a lot of the restrictions were eased, certain businesses were allowed to reopen. Um, We had limited indoor dining allowed, even bars were were starting to have people back in. Um, And uh, with the the rise in cases uh, and the, the second wave of lockdowns, those gains have largely been wiped out, um, is what UHERO Director Carl Bonham briefed uh, state lawmakers recently. Um, And and that's really noteworthy uh, because it wasn't just the lockdown that did that. The the data that they collected showed that by mid-August, most of those gains uh, from this modest recovery had already been eliminated in terms of business income in this one measure. So what that means is that the virus itself is depressing economic activity. It was not simply the government saying, you can no longer go to a restaurant, you can't go out to the beach, you have to stay at your house. That uh, individuals' concerns about their health, about contracting the virus in a public space are impacting their decisions as consumers, um, how they spend their money, where they spend their money. And that is what began depressing small business activity even before these lockdowns really kicked in in, in mid-August. By the time they took effect, this this uh, problem had, was already well underway. But the, the lockdowns themselves do cause uh, additional expenses. They do further depress revenue coming to businesses. And um, 
I decided to go back and talk with some of the business owners that I had spoken with earlier in the year when this was first going on to see how they're coping. One of those was Chris Sai. He's a baker and he owns Bread Shop, which is in Kaimu Key on 8th Avenue. And they were initially one of the success stories in this pandemic. They pivoted really quickly to a socially distanced model. They stood up an online ordering system where you would order online, schedule a pickup time, and everyone would be staggered out. So there was no lines, uh, no people bunched up trying to get into their small shop at the same time. And, and that was really effective for them um, in March and April. They saw some some modest declines in revenue, but were doing pretty well um, up to you know 80 plus percent of their normal volume, Chris said back then. But what he told me recently is that with this seesaw effect of opening and closing, the extra expenses really pile up, and that's becoming increasingly a burden on small businesses. The hardest thing, the most draining thing on um, a bakery or a restaurant, a food service establishment, are those openings and closings. Because every time that happens, you bleed money to open and you bleed money closing. Um, There's a lot of product that gets wasted. Um, there's a lot of extra labor that has to occur to make sure things are put away correctly um, and then sort of, you know, everything gets spun up as well. And so there's no momentum coming from stock. You know, I feel for him. I'm a customer. He's got wonderful Me bread. Um, but I know he had tried that model of a subscription service early on, and he was, you know, a small business trying to just get his name and, and reputation out there, and he's done really well uh, in that community. But, you know, uh, how how is he coping with these challenges on a personal level? Yeah, this is a huge issue because small business owners don't always have the the kind of safety net that a regular employee might have. If you lose your job as a worker, you've got unemployment in many cases. There's some programs to help you. If you're a small business owner, your, um, your house might be staked as collateral for your small business loan or in many cases um, your commercial rent agreement. So if you're not able to make your rent, um, your your home is potentially at risk of being taken away. So you're not lo- only losing your income. You're, you know, that is your job to run that business. There's all these other um, other second and third order effects that come into play. And that's not even getting into the kind of the mental and the emotional aspect of it, which is, you know, this is for many of these people, it's their life's work. They've poured a lot of their not only their money, but their time and their heart into it. And so it's it's really devastating for them to kind of potentially see failure or to to go out of business. And to talk about that, I spoke with Melissa Bao. She owns Via Gelato, which is just up the street from Bread Shop off Wailai Avenue. And they closed down originally in, in March and April. And Melissa said her staff was concerned about getting sick and she wanted to take those concerns seriously. So she closed and made the decision to keep paying them, was able to do that by getting a, a PPP loan. Now that was available back then. They were able to reopen as things improved and we're seeing some some uh, modest improvements in revenue coming in and you could pretty frequently see lines outside spaced out with masks on in the kind of inter-lockdown period. But she says they're now struggling with another drop-off in business and she and the fellow owners in the neighborhood are really stressed by the situation that they now find themselves in. When you're a small business owner, you pour everything that you have into that business. You put all of your 
personal security into it. The feeling of loss is immense. You're thinking about like, oh my God, I might lose my home. Oh my God, like all these years that I've put into the business, everything that I've ever made is just gone and it's no it's to no fault of your own how are you gonna how are you gonna feed your kids you know how are you gonna feed yourself because as a small business owner when you lose everything you don't get unemployment you don't have that safety net for you they also feel really angry because they don't deserve that like they don't deserve to be left behind they don't deserve to be in the position that they're in some of these people have been in business for decades who have carved their way to where they are currently it's just it's devastating for that to be threatened by the situation and Catherine, what melissa told me is that the number one factor that is kind of the make or break thing for businesses right now is rent forgiveness if they can get some kind of break on the commercial rent that they pay which is the numbers are really eye-popping, you know, in some of the, the more more popular, uh, more expensive parts of Oahu, for example, uh, you know, Kaimu Key, where they are, Haleiwa, um, thousands of dollars per month, you know, uh, the better part of $10,000 per month, if not more, for the kind of space that some of these businesses are in. Um, so it's a ton of money if they don't have anything coming in. And she said that's the number one thing is that if um, if you can work out a deal with your landlord to get some kind of reduced rate or some kind of deferred payment, you can probably survive. If you can't and not all landlords are willing to do that, then it's a really uphill battle for you. Yeah. And both these businesses, you know, they've developed a following over the years. And so, yeah, your heart just goes out to them. So. Fingers crossed that they can survive this current lockdown and uh, that they get through okay. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Thanks so much, Ryan. Sure thing, Catherine. We have been talking with Ryan Finnerty about the effect on small businesses with the second shutdown here on Oahu. To read his stories, go to hawaiipublicradio.org. Our reality check today takes a look at our faltering economy. Reporter Kevin Nodell covers military issues for Honolulu Civil Beat and joins us today. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. So military spending, I mean, that's a big piece of our economy. It is. And as we've seen uh, tourism drop off from the pandemic, it seems to be one of the few staples of the economy that hasn't been seriously affected. And economists were saying yesterday that, yeah, this is you know, the absence of tourism is could be worse than, than expected. Yeah, it's not great. But um, obviously, there's a lot of complicated, hard decisions that are going to be made here. Historically, the military has been part of what uh, lawmakers and economists have kind of called the three-legged stool of Hawaii's economy, uh, tourism military spending and construction, and the lack of tourism really wipes out a key leg that really kind of props everything else up. In the 2018 fiscal year, uh, the Pentagon spent about $7.2 billion in the Hawaii economy, and 
that made up about 7.7% of the state's GDP. Um, we don't necessarily know what percent of the GDP it's going to be this year, but with tourism gone, it's almost certainly going to be much higher. Right, and I know folks were looking at uh, construction as right that third leg, um, but the military uh, does have a number of construction projects, you know, in the works, right? Right, and and in some ways those are very interrelated things. A lot of construction is funded by the Pentagon and part of military projects. It's a pretty pretty significant cash cow for construction companies based in the states. So, how much does the military spend here? Well, so far, about $2.3 billion uh, this year in direct, in direct contracts. Um, the Navy has been the biggest spender so far, shelling about $821 million. And about 57.8% of that spending goes to businesses directly located on the island. But regardless of whether the business is located here or on the mainland, most of the work is actually done by uh, Hawaii residents. So money goes into people's pockets here. Right, because you've got a, then a lot of civilian contractors that are working on those projects. And so um, th- this has been then a pretty stable cash flow for for Hawaii's business economy. It has, but uh, you also have to wonder about whether or not leaning in on the military is just building dependence on something else. That's one of the reasons why the state has been looking into ways to uh, use that infrastructure that the military has built for uh, retasking it out to other sectors. For instance, uh, with the growth of cyber threats from China and Russia, you had really increased spending on cybersecurity, and cybersecurity can be moved out to any other sort of business, like law firms, medical stuff, any any place where uh, private information is really important is really in need of cybersecurity these days. Okay, so we're, when we're talking about cybersecurity, what are the entities locally that come into play? Military-wise, just about everybody. Locally here, uh, we are the home of Indo-Pacific Command, which oversees all operations in the Pacific, Oceania, mainland Asia. It's a very large command that oversees a lot of things, so they have a lot of classified files. We have, obviously, uh, the NSA here, lots of stakeholders that have a lot of interest in keeping their files safe and, and keeping spies out of it. So you're building a very large infrastructure for that. And you've also got things like the Pearl Harbor Shipyard, right? I mean, that entity there employs thousands of workers. Absolutely. Largest industrial base in the state. And the state is also looking at ways that that can be, if for some reason Pentagon spending decreased, those same skills are applicable to working on commercial vessels, leisure crafts, and also you're talking about welding and all kinds of skills that can be used for things besides ships specifically. Okay, and at this point, no indication that uh, any of that is going away? Not right now. That It's not likely that that's going to happen with uh, tensions sort of escalating between uh, the United States and China and China and its neighbors, there's an increased interest in this part of the world at the Pentagon, and military planners consider this area to be their top priority theater. You know, most of the news coverage of military operations has kind of been on the Middle East in recent years because that's where the most intense fighting has been. But a lot of the resources are actually spent out here on Navy patrols to ensure that trade routes remain open and other such sorts of things. 
Okay. All right. Well, I know we, we did have a hiccup with the RIMPAC games, and uh, money into the economy, I think, dropped because that was severely curtailed. But all right, we'll just have to keep an eye on this, on this third third leg. Thanks so much, Kevin. Thank you. All right. We have been talking with Kevin Nodell, who covers military issues for Honolulu Civil Beat. To read his story, head to civilbeat.org. About 100,000 active duty soldiers transition into civilian life each year. A new virtual career fair will help connect transitioning Army members and their spouses to employers seeking job candidates with military training and backgrounds. The Conversations Lillian Sang spoke with Recruit Military's Career Resources Director Jennifer Haddock about the free career networking opportunity. This event is specifically designed for the Army Transitioning Service member as well as Army spouses. So for those that are looking to attend, um, we really recommend first and foremost getting registered. Uh, We're going to request some basic information in the login process. Um, And then they're going to want to complete their profile in its entirety. From there, uploading a copy of their resume is going to be ideal. And then just really starting to do their research on the the companies that are going to be in attendance. Companies like General Dynamics, they're going to be looking for folks nationwide to fill everything from their management opportunities to technology, software, hardware, transportation, and logistics. And then we have ADT. They're coming in looking for maintenance and operations, field service engineers. Um, We have companies that are like First Command Financial Services. They're looking for accounting, finance, and sales candidates to fill roles nationwide. So it's really, it's across the board. Anybody with a variety of backgrounds, companies are going to be looking to fill not only full-time, but part-time positions, as well as telecommuting and remote opportunities. Are there Hawaii companies participating? So we have companies that are representing opportunities really nationwide. And in addition to the events that are represented at the virtual career fair, also on our job board, our recruitmilitary.com job board, we have 583 job openings posted for Hawaii right now. So in addition to the event itself, candidates can also go to our job board and review those postings as well. So for people leaving the military, transitioning to a civilian workforce, are there other resources out there to help them? Absolutely. So um, first off, our organization hosts biweekly webinars for individuals to come in, learn a little bit more about how to navigate the platform itself, as well as come in and um, kind of go through best practices. So candidates can register for those webinars via our website. Also, 
we will have representatives on site there to provide guidance on how to navigate during the event itself, answering questions um, about, you know, hey, I have this type of background, what company should I visit with? Or uh, can you share with me a little bit more about how to tailor my elevator pitch? All of those things, we have representatives that will be available to provide guidance because this is a very new environment and kind of a new experience for a lot of folks and also available to Army spouses. Yes. Yes, so the, the Army spouse community, obviously um, military spouse unemployment just kind of across the board is very high. So Recruit Military has taken an especial focus on the military spouse community. So this event is open to Army spouses. One of the things that I love about this event is several of the employers are going to be looking to fill remote or telecommuting positions, which is great for that military or Army spouse that may be looking for a position that can transition with them as their spouses relocated from duty station to duty station. Does that mean then as a remote worker, they could be in Hawaii, but just working on mainland time? Absolutely. And that's what's so great about a lot of these opportunities. And one of the interesting side effects, if you will, of COVID is more employers are beginning to realize what positions can be remote and folks can telecommute for. So we're seeing more and more remote and telecommuting positions being advertised. For a spouse whose partner has been deployed to Hawaii, does this mean that you can still get a job, that company that you want, because they're offering the position as remote? Exactly. Especially, and I I know I've had several friends that have transitioned out to Hawaii, and it's difficult. You know, it's it's a smaller area. Finding opportunities that are specifically on the islands can be a challenge. So if they can take those careers with them or they can find those careers that, that they don't have to actually work specifically within the islands but can stay, live there, yeah, it's it's amazing. Looking at the times for Wednesday's virtual career fair. It's going to be happening from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So that translates to 4 a.m. to 10 a.m. Hawaii time. This being the case, you know, if people miss it or just get to the end while it's up virtually live, what can they do to engage after the fair closes? Absolutely, and that's a great question because we have stretched out the time since it is a global event, but obviously trying to accommodate every time zone around the world can be difficult. So first off, they want to register. Regardless of coming in late or not, make sure that they get registered because what's going to happen is this is going to put them on the company's radar. Once they log into the system, after they register, they can start reviewing company profiles. And one of the features of the system is that they can actually select a company and say, I am interested in learning more about this organization. So once they've reviewed that company profile, by clicking that, they're going to go into a separate list notifying the recruiters and the company representatives that they have expressed an interest specifically in their organization. Also in the company profile, um, if they go down and scroll down and look at the point of contact, additional information, there should be a point of contact, whether it be an email address or a phone number of somebody that they can reach out to outside of the event itself. 
So heaven forbid they're not able to log in day of the event, they're still going to be able to get some contact information. Now, with the time in mind, we have spoken with the employers and we have encouraged them to be logged in the entire time. So right up to the end of the event, 10 a.m. Hawaii time. So even if it's, you know, an hour, they only get the last hour of the event, they don't have to be logged in the entire time. They don't have to be logged in right at the time the event kicks off. Just making sure that they get in there, engage with as many companies as possible, um, and maximize what they can during the event itself. So the event really is just helping people network, connect, make contact, make those connections. Absolutely. It is all about making those connections, doing that networking, getting their information out there so employers know that they are interested and ready to make the transition into a civilian career. That was Recruit Military's Jennifer Haddock talking with our producer, Lian Song. To learn more about tomorrow's free virtual career fair, including links on how to register, visit our page at hawaiipublicradio.org. Today's backyard quiz. We were thinking about a moth that was found only on one island, on only one mountain. Habitat loss has confined the flightless creature to elevations above 2,900 meters. Because it has evolved past its ability to fly with wings that have shortened down through the years, it hops from place to place at 10 times its body length. Flying wouldn't do much good at the elevations at which it lives on barren, rocky slopes. At caterpillar stage, it weaves a web that it uses to trap and feed on the dead leaves that blow by. The moth has managed to survive extreme temperature changes that average from 50 to 65 degrees Fahrenheit during the day and often drop below freezing at night. The air is thin and solar radiation intense. We asked you where this critter makes its home, and the answer is Maui's highest peak, Haleakala. The insect in question being the Haleakala flightless moth. Congratulations, James from Holly Eva. You got it right, and brother, you must have us on speed dial. You were first. That's today's quiz. If you have one, you can send it to talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Ferraro Choi, committed to environmentally sustainable architecture and interior design, proudly supporting Hawaii Public Radio for more than 25 years. FerraroChoi.com. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hello, I'm Philip Goldberg, author of Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about tools to cultivate calm, clarity, and courage. Sunday morning at 11. 
Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, committed to the community's health with a temporary museum closure and offering digital experiences at honolulumuseum.org. So that song you just heard is Tin Roof Shingling by Jim Kimo West. He's a Canadian guitarist known for his work playing guitar for Wheel Weird Al Yankovic and his for his slap key guitar albums. More Guitar Stories is his latest, and he's also involved in the Aloha Radio Project, a tribute to the golden age of Hawaiian music. We're in for a treat because Kimo took time to chat with HPR's Dave Lawrence. Welcome to the show. Great to have you on board, brother. Aloha, Dave. Mahalo for having me, man. You're super, super welcome. And let's start with uh, folks are familiar with your stuff. Derek plays it. And where else is, have people heard it on HPR? I know you've played our Atherton before, right? Yes, I did. I, I think I did a, a double bill with Stephen Inglis a number of years ago. That was really huh. fun. We had a great time. But I know, yeah, Derek has been playing my music. He's such a great supporter. He's been playing my stuff since the beginning. And I think I put my first Slack Key record out in 19... 19- 99, I think. And again, uh, you're on with a new release now. It's called uh, More Guitar Stories. So you described it to me as a multicultural journey of sorts with slack key being the common denominator. Share with folks uh, a little bit more about what you're implying there. Well, in 2015, I put out uh, a record called Guitar Stories. So all my all my records, I, I think this is my 10th record now, but they've most of my records, uh, they've all been uh, slack key or sort of contemporary slack key. I sort of have my own take on it, but they've all been pretty much in the slack key genre. But with Guitar Stories in 2015, I decided to sort of use the slack key tunings and some of the slack key um, embellishments and techniques, but use that in the context of other musical styles. You know, like mm-hmm. on my on the on Guitar Stories in 2015, I had tracks that were uh, Middle Eastern, um, West African sounding, you know, stylistically. Um, so more guitar stories is basically a continuation of that idea, you know, to bring uh, slack key guitar, uh, the tunings, the techniques into these other kind of world, uh, sort of a world fusion of, um, of sounds. The last three records that I've done have been all original um, and my slack key records prior to that are, are usually mostly original tracks, but you know I often cover some great you know standards on on those records. And some of your favorites, Jim, in terms of the the cats that most inspired you. Well, you know I I, I wasn't born in in Hawaii, but I I came to uh, the little town of Hana Maui in 1985, and I ended up staying in Hana for a long time and. The folks that I stayed with when I first came, they had a lot of slack key records. And of course, uh, they had the Gabby Paikinui, the Panini series, you know, the Gabby Paikinui records. And when I first heard that, it was like, you know, this music just sounds exactly like what I'm seeing in in Hane, the place. It feels like it's, you know, coming out of the earth. So, you know, Gabby, of course, was was the first influence. And um, and the other records they had, too, were Ray Connie and Sonny Chillingworth and, you know, the the real legends of, of Slack Key and the, when the records that were done in the 70s, probably. 
Nice foundation. And uh, so in addition to the uh, more guitar stories, you also are involved in this Aloha Radio Hawaii project, which is a uh, tribute to the golden age of Hawaiian music recorded live in the studio by Grammy-winning engineer Dave Way featuring steel guitarist Ken Emerson. Well, it's a, a really interesting project. My friend Dave Way, who I've known for a while, a fantastic engineer, he called me. I was on the road um, uh, last year, and he called me and um, told me about this project, a Chinese label that does really beautiful work of a lot of international records, and they wanted to do a Hawaiian record. And Dave settled on the idea of this tribute to sort of the golden age, as we call it, of Hawaiian music, 20s, 30s, and 40s. Some of it is kind of jazzy. You've got uh, some beautiful acoustic steel guitar. And he talked to me about it, and I said, well, you've got to bring in Ken Emerson because Ken um, is the master of you know, the old-style acoustic national guitar steel guitar, you know, that lap lap steel, the acoustic style, Saul Ho'opi'i style, you mm. know. Him and his brother used to back up Mulcahy back in the day, and uh, he's such a master at it. So we got Ken on board, and then Dave um, found some other great musicians to to round it out. We had uh, uh, Dean Parks on guitar also. We had somebody playing vibes. We had some percussionists and fabulous vocalists. We, so we did it all, all the music live in the studio and um, used a bunch of vintage microphones and they also recorded it in what they call Dolby Atmos so it's like a surround sound so we did it in in Hollywood A&M um, which used to be A&M it's called um, Henson now but it's a fabulous studio that actually where some Hawaiian records were recorded way back in the day and with both of these projects in this new world of everything basically digitally uh, available. Is this the kind of thing where you expect folks to check it out on their Spotify or they're going to go to YouTube or they're going to go get a physical CD? Um, yes, everything's available, uh, you know, in all the, the regular streaming services. It's pretty easy to find. And, you know, if, if you like, if you still like the old CDs, the antiques, which are still great, <laughs> my car still as a CD player, so so I like CDs still. And no vinyl, huh? A lot of people are doing the vinyl again. Um, right, yeah. Well, not on this one. Um, now, Ken Emerson and I did a record a couple of years ago called Slackers in Paradise, and uh, which Derek Malama has played on his show, and we did put that out on vinyl. And that was a very rootsy record, so it, it really worked really well on vinyl. And you're the uh, reason, one of the reasons I asked is you're a longtime guitarist for Weird Al Yankovic, and uh, you've been playing with him since when? Started playing with Al in the early 80s, if you can believe it. But it has been a, an amazing career. Last year we did a tour everywhere. Every show was a, with a full orchestra every night. <laughs> and when's that next with the, because uh, I kind of asked, because obviously now with the with the pandemic, nobody's touring and doing stuff. So that's why I was figuring out when you when you put the music together for your more guitar stories. When's the next gig with Al going to come up? Do you guys have plans for next year or, or, or just leaving everything? Yeah, um, we'll have to see how it goes. Originally we were planning on taking um, 2020 off and then starting up early uh, next year, but that's not going to happen. But we probably, hopefully, will be starting a world tour at the end of next year, probably in the fall of 2021. That's sort of the plan right now. Any feedback from him on your uh, new record? Um, I haven't yet. I sent it to him, and he's uh, he's got it, and I, I'm not sure if he's heard it yet. But, uh, but Al's actually a very uh, big fan of my music, and I know... You know, he used to come visit me when I lived in Hana, and he eventually bought a house in Hana. 
And so he would always, he told me he used to always love to um, listen to Coconut Hat. That was my first CD. They would, mm-hmm. when they'd be driving from Kahului to Hana, they'd always listen to Coconut Hat on the rides. <laughs> so he's a fan. <laughs> right on. Well, I guess you got to get, guess you got to get him an actual antique there, uh, Jim. And, yeah. <laughs> and he can put, he can put that in his CD deck in his car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's uh, Jim Kimo West, and he has got this uh, slack key artist, new release, more guitar stories. You probably hear his tunes with Derek Malama on uh, Connie Kapila Sunday. But now you've just heard a little bit about his new release and this Aloha Radio project. You can also look and or listen for that involves him on board. And next year, fingers crossed, or at some point in the future, fingers crossed again, we'll see you with uh, Weird Al Yankovic and, and him getting back into performing and stuff. Hope you had fun today, and I really do appreciate you uh, reaching out to us and being part of the show here on HPR. Thank you so much, Dave. It's always uh, always fun to talk uh, on HPR, and I remember the first time I was on HPR, I think it was 1999, when I put my first record out, so it's great to be back. <laughs> um, great to have you on board. Absolutely. Well, mahalo, my friend. was Jim Kimo West, who spoke with HPR's Dave Lawrence. The songs you've heard can be found on his latest album, More Guitar Stories. We'll have links to his website at hawaiipublicradio.org. Now we leave you with a little bit more from Paniolo Starlight. That's a wrap, people. Tomorrow, we have a conversation about saving Social Security. We would like to hear from you. Got a story to share? Do you rely on your Social Security checks? Call our talkback line, 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Post your comments on Facebook at The Conversation HPR or tweet us at HI Conversation. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of The Conversation. Thank you.